Good morning, everybody. I'm on the spot here. Hope everybody's doing good today. Welcome to Redemption Church. My name is Ben. I'm one of the elders here, on staff here. And uh, if you're new with us, this is your first time, we're really glad to have you. And uh, if you've returned several times, we're still glad to have you. And if you're a member, we're just glad to have everybody here. Uh, That's great. All right. So over the last few weeks, to kind of catch you up with where we are today, I'm kind of wrapping up something that we've been working on. And over the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about the role of Redemption Church in the story of God. And uh, so we did this for three weeks. And for the first week, uh, I actually spoke and we talked about uh, the personal impact of the good news of the person and work of Jesus. Uh, I kind of told a little bit of my story uh, and kind of asked you to consider with me, has Jesus really changed your life? And I was asking that of myself uh, and, and just kind of trying to submit that, that having a father who loves me, goes before me and after me, has made and continues to make all the difference in my life. And then we just kind of sent you a way to consider, has Jesus really changed your life? And to ask the question, how? Uh, the second week, Jeremy talked, and uh, he spoke about the impact of the God story on us as a community. Uh, he talked about how our personal progressive growth and holiness impacted our community's progressive growth and holiness. And he kind of sent us away with a challenge uh, to consider our spheres of influence and how growth is meant to display Jesus and the gospel uh, to those who don't know him. And then Reggie talked last week about God's story. Uh, He talked about how our ultimate role in God's story is is to to know him and to make God known to others. Uh, He challenged us to examine ourselves and and even to examine our church as a whole uh, and said, if we aren't making disciples, then we are failing to fill our role. And so today, after considering all these things, my story, your story, our story, uh, and, and the story of God going out to make him known, uh, we need to consider and ask the question, how are we doing? How's Redemption Church doing it at fulfilling this role? If my story impacts your story and your story impacts my story, which impacts our story collectively, um, and we ought to be seeing, and we're supposed to have that impact others outside of even this community, then we ought to be seeing others coming into and finding their place in the story, right? That's confusing, but that's, what, that's kind of what we're saying. So I wanted to ask a couple of questions. What, what is it that we can celebrate? How do we know that we're doing good? How do we know that we're, we're fulfilling the role? How do we know when we're winning? How do we know when we have cause to celebrate because we, we're winning? Well... If God's story is ultimately about knowing God and making him known, the question would be to ask is, are we making him known uh, where he's not known yet? So whenever, uh, whenever we can say yes to that, whenever we see evidence that God is being made known somewhere where he was not known before because of the story that's happening personally and in our community and going forth from here, then we will have a win. We will have cause to celebrate, Right? But there's a tension also in this. Um, It's kind of present between the community that's growing in holiness, the individuals that are growing in holiness, and the disciple maker, the guy, the the one going out and making disciples. We're called to be both, right? We're called to continually be growing and becoming more like Christ, being a disciple, but we're also called to be disciple makers. And there's a tension in that where we're called to do both. And it doesn't seem like that's that big of a deal or that's big hard or that's that hard but but the tension is real um 
on a Sunday morning, for instance, here's, here's just a, an example of how that tension plays out. On a Sunday morning, you may have an option to sit in here and to hear the word and to sing together and to pray together um, and, and just to do this service and, and hear the word of God. Or you may have the option to go and you know, serve and tell the good news to the children who may be lost, right? That's attention. I mean, it's attention. You can come in here and you get fed, or do you do the feeding? It's attention. Um, I was loud. Sorry. Um, I did it again. Um, um, all right, you're supposed to not say that. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> or what, what about at home? Like when you're, when you're setting aside time and you've got it set aside, you've had a busy week maybe, and you've been struggling to set aside some time for studying the Bible and praying and just spending some time alone. Good things. We need to do those things. What, when, you, when you finally get to that time and the phone rings or, or somebody knocks on the door and a friend needs you, Maybe it's somebody who's lost. Like, what do you do in that moment, right? So there's, there's just a tension between these two things. Here's, I just want to share with you a real-life failure of mine, okay? And I call it uh, the story of the cheesinator. But uh, here's what happened. I used to live downtown on Broad Street. Well, I still live on Broad Street in Old Town. But I used to live on the 900 block, actually pretty much right across the street from where we got this building that we're, we're going to be moving to hopefully soon. And uh, so I lived there for a couple of years. We had a store downstairs. And um, so anyways, a friend of mine and I were hanging out one, late one night upstairs. We were just jamming, you know, playing guitar, stuff like that. I don't know. We are just hanging out. We are really cool. And uh, it got to be pretty late. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And we decided that we should go get crystals, you know, like a fourth meal, but at crystals. And so we, we left. We got in the car. We went across the river to, to crystals. And we both got the Cheesinator combo. Okay, I mean, it's like five chili cheese crystals, a chili cheese fry, and like a bucket of drink. It's, it's ridiculous. And I, had, I ate dinner. Okay? <laughs> right? So we both went over there and got that. And uh, then we came back home. And this is like on a Friday or Saturday night. It's on the weekend. And on the weekends, downtown gets it's hopping in the middle of the night. I mean, there's bars everywhere. There's shows. There's music. People are all over the place, right? So things are going on downtown. We come back home with our cheesinator combos and our bags. We're going to go back upstairs and, and hang out and eat our crystals. And as soon as I get out of the car, I, see, I just see a guy out of the corner of my eye, and I know what he wants. He wants to come. He wants me to give him food, or he wants money from me, right? If you, if you live downtown or if you're downtown a lot, you'll see that this happens. They're not. Most of them are harmless. Nobody's violent. They're, but it's just... Something that happens all the time. So I knew right away when this guy was coming to ask me, and I hated this guy. Like, immediately. So stupid. But, so I fumbled for my keys. I'm like, come on, come on, that guy's going to look for food. And I'm fumbling for my keys. I'm trying to get to the door across the sidewalk. And I'm going to get in the building, and, and the door is sticking. I couldn't get in, and the guy's there. You know, he's like, hey, man, can I get one of those burgers? I was like, man, I only have five. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I'm a good Christian guy, so I gave him a burger. And my friend gave him a burger, and well, I gave him my burger, and the guy was just like, I mean, he was stuffing his mouth. There's pickles everywhere, and, and, and my friend gives him a burger, and then we just like, okay, get out of here, and we, we went inside. A week before that, my small group had made a, a bunch of pans of lasagna to take to the homeless. And we went downtown with our plates of lasagna, and we went and found homeless people and gave them out. And I was happy to do it. 
It felt really good. But I didn't plan for this guy to come at 11.30 at night for my Crystal Burgers, and I was not happy about it. When I planned for it, it was fine. When I didn't plan for it, it wasn't fine. I gave him the food, but, but the big failure in the story is not because I did or didn't give him food, right? It's, uh, it's because of the posture of my heart and doing it. It had a lot more to do with getting him to leave than with feeding the hungry. Throwing scraps away the hungry isn't really our calling, is it? Just giving them what we have to to get rid of them. I mean, we treat our dogs better than that a lot of times. I've known people that cook meals for their dogs. So I wonder how often we do this with Jesus, the living bread. How often we do this with the living bread. Do we throw that scraps of what we're feasting on to those who are hungry. We say, of course, of course I need to feed hungry. Of course we have to make disciples. Of course we have to spread the good news of Jesus Christ uh, and tell people about Jesus and, and, and all that. But is it wrong for me to feed, get fed a little bit? Is it wrong for me to make a life for myself and enjoy myself? Is it really that wrong for me to take the money I've earned and go to Crystal's and enjoy my hamburgers, right? Let's let that take us into Mark 8. That's where we'll be this morning. I put two passages on the bulletin. That's just for you. We're going to spend some time in Mark 8. Mark 16 is the same story. So you can just take that and look at it throughout the week and uh, and compare them. Um, Mark 8, and it's verse 1 through 21 we're going to read. Now, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, we have some of these paper Bibles in the back. Back there, you could grab one of those. Uh, it's on page 718, 719 in that. The rest of you, I don't know your page numbers. But um, it's, the, what, it's the second book in the New Testament. Uh, go find all the really weird names with a bunch of little books, and then just turn to the right, and it won't be too far. So, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 through 21. In those days, when, a, when again a, a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. Excuse me. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were four, there were about 4,000 people, and they sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said... Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them again, saying, or he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not understand? I know that's a long passage, but basically this is what goes down. Jesus has a large crowd of people with him. They've been walking with him. He's been teaching them. And he has compassion on them because they're hungry. right? And he decides that he wants to feed them. He breaks bread, hands it to the disciples to hand it out to everybody. Then he sends the crowd away after they've eaten, and he gets in the boat with the disciples. They encounter the Pharisees who want a sign from Jesus, and he says no. He gets back in the boat. He cautions the disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees, and they start looking for bread. Right? And Jesus is like, really? You're looking for bread? Because I just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves. Are you really worried about the fact that you don't have bread with us? Is that what you think this is about? Right? So they, I mean, the disciples totally miss it. I love that scene, by the way. Right? I mean, they're in a boat with, <laughs> you know, they're in a boat with Jesus who just fed 4,000 people and 5,000 people. They're obviously not getting it. They're not remembering who they're with. Do they not realize this is the Son of God? Remember manna in the wilderness? That guy, right, who made manna, just sent it down every day so they'd have it out of, no, out of nothing? That's, that's who they're in a the boat with. Um, so they're, they're totally missing whatever Jesus was trying to say, right? But what was he talking about? That's, that's the question. What's the leaven of the Pharisees? I don't even understand that talk. Well, the Pharisees were looking for a sign, it says. A little more proof so that they could just believe, right? Um, but these guys were devout. They knew their scriptures. They knew the Old Testament, right? Um, if they had only, it seems like if they had only looked, if they'd only paid attention, that they would know who Jesus was because Jesus was already fulfilling everything of the Old Testament, right? He was like healing sick, making blind people see. He was feeding the hungry. He was doing all the things that, that had been prophesied of the Messiah. And still they're just like, hey, could you just, could you just do something really neat for us so that we would know that, uh, that you're really Jesus, that you're really the Christ, right? So why? It's the same kind of thing that the, 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 the disciples were falling into at the, same, at the same time. We often look at the Pharisees and the disciples and think that they seem incredibly stupid, don't we? I mean, I do. I read it and I'm like, you guys are so dumb. You're in a boat with Jesus, right? Uh, but I wonder if we don't miss Jesus just as easily. I, I think I do. Um, just after this part of the story, Peter confesses Christ as Lord, and Jesus says only the Father could make that known to him. And that's the case. I mean, we miss Jesus just as easily as the disciples, just as easily as the Pharisees, right? It's only because the Holy Spirit, it's only because of the gift of the Holy Spirit and the, the, him opening our eyes to know who he is that he allows us to say Jesus is Lord. So when Jesus warned the disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees, wasn't he warning them to, to be careful that you only trust in me, not in your sacrifices, not in your disciplines, or not in your devoutedness? Um, or don't trust in food in your hands, don't trust in the bread that, that you have in your hands uh, that you eat and you give away, but, but instead trust the creator of hunger and the creator of bread and the creator of satisfaction? I bring all this, this story up for a reason. I bring all that up for a reason. If you're around here long enough at Redemption Church, 
you're going to hear us talking about leading people to Jesus to lead people to Jesus. Or making disciples to make disciples, however you want to say it. And then you'll probably hear us talk about our desire, our call, our vision to be a church that plants churches. That plants churches. But the truth is, if we ever plant another church, it will be because the people in this room, each of us, step into that tension of being discipled and making disciples and start feeding those who are hungry together. Because churches that plant churches are made up of disciples who make disciples. Right? We all have a job to do. Just on Sunday mornings. We could just start there. By the way, if this is your first time here, you kind of picked a good Sunday to come because I'm just talking about what, what Redemption Church is, is all about. Right? So uh, hopefully you kind of get an idea of what's going on around here. Somebody, you just got to think about Sunday morning. I mean, somebody has to set up and take down, right, to make sure that all this happens. This stuff has to be set up every Sunday, the chairs, everything out there. That way when somebody comes in, they feel welcome. They feel like we're doing something on purpose. They feel like, hey, when we actually prepare to do this, maybe somebody feels valued because we actually value them because Christ values us. Somebody has to spend time with the children. Somebody has to be in there with children who may not know God yet. And, and, and they have to be in there to tell them, God loves you. God's going to be your friend forever. We have to be in there to teach them how to be the church. Somebody has to play security. There's somebody in the hall right now just keeping an eye on the children just to make sure that they're safe, making sure no strangers are coming and taking the kids or anything like that. You know why? Because we all want our kids to be safe, right? And not only that, but if somebody new comes in the building, we want them to know that we value their children, that we value their, we, we, we value their time in here. We want them to be able to put that anxiety aside of what's going on with their kids and to come and to be fed a little bit. Somebody has to greet. Somebody has to work the desk. Somebody has to run sound. Somebody has to do this, the visual stuff. What about not Sundays? Somebody's leading the mission of communities. Others have to host them. Others need to attend them and bring their friends. Right? We all have a, a part to play, and it's not just about it's not just about being ready on Sundays or or, on, or at MCs. Uh, what about the guy who wanted my hamburgers? I wasn't ready for him. All right? We have to be ready always with our neighbors, our coworkers, and others in our lives. If this church, because those are the people the, where you're investing in lives, when you're at work, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're wherever you may be at school. Those are the people that are going to end up joining our family here because they find that Jesus loves them, that their Father loves them, and it can make all the difference in their lives. They find it by you valuing them and by you investing in their lives. If this church, plant, if this church ever plants churches, it will be because it is full of disciples who make disciples all the time. Not just on Sundays, not just because we sign up to help, but all the time. Just people who are sold out, all in with Jesus. Not so concerned. And I'm not saying everybody here is concerned with this. I'm just saying it's not, we can't be so concerned about just setting up our own life. We have to be very concerned and passionate about reaching people with the good news that their father loves them and that he goes before them and after them and that it can make all the difference in their life. What's really about, crazy about my Crystal's burger story is I wasn't even hungry that night. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I've ever been hungry. You know? I mean, I eat at least three meals a day. And we probably have snacks in between. I don't know. I mean, I don't go hungry. 
Even when I've had hunger pangs, I probably don't know what it means to be hungry. I definitely wasn't hungry that night on my fourth meal of the day, right? And I definitely didn't need five Crystal Burgers and, and a big fry and drink. Somebody, uh, something I picked up, uh, something I picked up from this story in Mark, is the huge crowd that gathered to Jesus to hear his teaching, witness his miracles, and eat his food, and then go away. The the crowd goes away after being fed a little bit of the crumbs, right? But the disciples get in the boat. After doing all the grunt work of feeding four thousand and cleaning up the mess, they get in the boat with Jesus to to go proclaim the good news elsewhere. No bread, just Jesus. And they don't seem too worried about their hunger, even when they're asking about the bread. They're just like, man, we forgot the bread. Is he going to be upset that we forgot the bread? But I mean, right? Isn't that the kind of attitude that we have to have, though? That we don't even, I'm not, I'm just saying, I don't know that we even know what hunger is, especially here in this room. So I'm not convinced that we need to stuff ourselves some more before we can go out. Right? We can also get involved with our, our serving and get so in, uh, we can also get so involved with serving and work and doing and, and being you know volunteering or whatever that we begin to trust in the work and in the serving instead of trusting in Jesus. So that's a caution. I'm not saying like get out of here and go do a bunch of things and be disciple makers and completely forget Jesus and then put all your hope in the fact that you're making disciples. You won't be making disciples for Christ. That's, a, that's another caution. But here is some really good news. This is one of the big thing that I want us to hear. It's in Mark 8, uh, 34 through 35. So it's in the same chapter, just down a little bit. And he says, and, it call, and, and Jesus called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus invites the crowd. That's the good news. Right? Jesus invites the crowd. So I'm asking you today, are you in the crowd or are you in the boat? And the good news is, is that if you're in the crowd, here to get a little bit and go home, you're invited into the boat. You're invited to get in the boat with Jesus, who has everything you'll ever need. He created hunger, he created satisfaction, and he is you know, satisfactory and more so. And he can make manna out of nowhere, and he can feed 5,000, and he can feed 4,000, and he can feed you even when you're in the boat with him working, right? So what does it look like to get out of the crowd, leave the spectators, and get in the boat with Jesus? How did Jesus disciple his disciples? That's the question we're going to ask. What does it look like to get in the boat? Well, let's just look at what Jesus did with the disciples who were in the boat with him. He just stretches them over and over and over again. We see it all through the Gospels. I think of like a balloon, right? You stretch a balloon a little bit, like before you make the giraffe or whatever, right? That's a giraffe. <laughs> yeah, so he stretches them over and over like a balloon to surrender the cells and trust in, in him instead because he stretches it so he can make them into a giraffe instead of just a little balloon. So I guess the question is if you want to be a little floppy balloon or if you want to be a balloon giraffe. Um, but he stretches them over and over and over again. And we see this all through the Gospels. He says the first thing, he's like, hey, you need to give up your fishing career and be homeless with me, so come follow me. Uh, don't trust in the life you've built for yourself. Come with me. Give it up. Don't have any money or anything. Just just be homeless with me. He sends them out alone pretty quickly, really. 
uh, sends them out alone, and then tells them, hey, don't take any food or provisions with you. Just go. Just go serve. Just go do what they need to do. He has Peter walk on water. That'll stretch you. He says right here where we're at, deny yourself and follow me, and be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Don't trust your work or your devotion or anything else. Trust in me. Remember when they were stopping the little children from coming to him? He says, just let the children come to me. I think it's a challenge to, to forget our age, our stature, our rank. He stretches them a little bit, runs their mind about who could come. What about the rich young ruler? They saw that. He was a very good guy. And they said, you have to give all your stuff away and come follow me. They asked if they, you know, for a certain position next to him. And he said, look, whoever would be the greatest must first be a slave to all. Jesus, at the Last Supper, in John, it says that he washed the disciples' feet, which is a pretty disgusting job because of the stuff that they walked through back then. So Jesus gets down, takes a towel, washes the disciples' feet, and they're like, oh no, please don't wash your feet. And he says he has to. And then he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also have to wash one another's feet. And that's what I hope you get out of this whole series, not just out of today, is that you get a call to be stretched a little bit. If you're here to be fed, um, I think that this is good. And coming in here and hearing the word is good, and we want you to do that. This is a part of discipleship. I'm kind of telling you, though, that I think that this is like just the appetizer. This is just the crumbs. The real feast is going to be in the hallway afterwards. Right? We're going to have some tables out there, and we're going to let you know where you can serve in church, and you can wash one another's feet, and you can tell children about Jesus. And you can just set up and make sure that we're prepared here for people who come in on Sundays who've never heard of Jesus before. I've witnessed a few times where people have come in our long, intimidating hallway with their children, only to find that we didn't have anything for their children. And then they turned around and went right back out that long hallway. And I don't know that they went to another church. I hope that they did. They were obviously seeking. It's probably likely. But I don't know that they did, and I don't know anything about them. But that would be a travesty, right? If they had an opportunity to come in, but we didn't have a place for the kids so that they could come in here, or and a place where their kids could come in here, and so they left. And so that's one of the things we're doing right now is uh, we got our preschool program, we got a nursery program, we've kind of started a youth program, and over the next month or so, we're going to be starting an elementary school program. So that doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. That's inexcusable. If we are a church that wants to plant churches, then we have to be full of disciples who are making disciples. And so we can't say no to those who want to hear about Jesus. It makes no sense, right? Tangent. Anyways. The question is, are you in the crowd, fed a little, and then going home afterwards? Or are you going to get in the boat with the manna maker, right? With the bread maker, with Jesus, the bread of life? Oh no, my stuff's falling everywhere. I said at the beginning that there was a tension that we had to step into. That discipleship is about getting fed and feeding others. It just doesn't, discipleship just doesn't look like sitting you know, at the, at the cross, cross-legged at the, uh, at the feet of our teacher. Just, you know, give me, give me. 
In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus exhorts the crowd to, to not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And he's talking about how if he'll provide for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, then he'll provide for his children. And that he's more than adequate to do so. And so not to worry about those things. And I know, I think that that's a very literal food there, but, but I think he's good enough to provide the spiritual food for you as well. So stretch a little. Uh, don't be worried about the fact that you don't have enough bread for the job, that you haven't got quite fed enough, that you're not quite strong enough to be you know, the, the good Christian teacher and you, you can't go out there and do it. That's not true. You have enough. You have Jesus. You have enough carbs to run the race. You'll be in the boat with Jesus. Uh, we say we're all about Jesus, but has he really changed your life? In such a way that you're continually getting fed, and that you're willing to get out of the crowd and get in the boat. The posture of the heart is demonstrated by the members of your body. If your heart is bent to know Jesus, then your body will be doing things for Jesus. If it's all about something else, it'll be bent towards something else. It's true for redemption as a whole as well. We say we want to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, and to plant churches that plant churches. Our name, Redemption Church, says that we're all about God's redemption story, doesn't it? Well, if that's true, our body as a whole ought to be seeing people come to know Jesus. That's the win. I mean, that's the big win, right? Is to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior, to come and know that their Father loves them, like we know that our Father loves us. We ought to be see, see people getting baptized and proclaiming Jesus. We ought to be seeing MCs, our missional communities, start bursting at the seams and having to replicate because, the family, because our family is growing around here. That's a win. You know, it's not a bad thing when missional communities have to, to replicate or split, if we want to use the bad word. Splits the bad word, replicates the good word. Right? It's a great thing if we see missional communities split because that means we're growing. That means people are coming into the family, that they're knowing that their father loves them. When people join up with us and become members and they commit to serve in the church, they're, they're saying, I'm on board with the vision of Redemption Church. Can we just take the name away and say, I'm on board with this family. I want to do what this family is doing. I want to be a part of that. That's a win when somebody joins the church and says they want to do what we're doing, and they get involved and they commit and serve. That's a big win for us. These are the things that we can celebrate. These are the things that we know. Like Reggie said last week, if we're, making, if we don't, if we're a church and we're not making disciples, then we're failing to fulfill our role. This is how we know if we're making disciples. We're baptizing people, MCs are growing and replicating, and people are joining the church and joining the, the cause and the vision and getting plugged in. So what would happen if we all said yes to, te- to testing God on this? Just putting them to the test a little bit. I don't know. That, that's the honest truth. I don't really know what God will do if we all get on board and serve and plug in and, just, and go after Jesus together. But I think... Uh, there's some possibilities. Here, here's some possibilities. Well, one is we're, we're about to move downtown again. That's where we started. That's where we're from. We never meant to be right here for so long, but we're here. We're about to go downtown sooner, hopefully, rather than later. Uh, well, we might reach a lot of people downtown as we commit to using everything that we have and stewarding everything that we have to bless the city of Augusta in the neighborhood of downtown Augusta. We may see people come to Jesus. You know, a hundred people, 
100 to 150 people may not be able to change all of Augusta, all of the CSRA by ourselves. But 100 people can make a pretty big splash in one little neighborhood. And downtown's not that big. 100 people get really involved and committed to one neighborhood. That can be big. Just think of it as a pond. That's the center for us. We're throwing a huge 100-person stone or something in the middle to make ripples to affect the city. Maybe we could pay for our new building and begin to plan for our first Redemption Church plant. I don't know where it could be. It could be in the CSRA. It could be in Grovetown. It could be in South Augusta. It could be in Aiken. Who knows, right? But maybe if we were all coming together and, and serving and going after it and, and just living to feed the hungry and give them Jesus, maybe we'd see that happen. Maybe we'd actually be a church that plants churches. That'd be pretty, that'd be a, that's the big win, right? Or maybe God would unite us with another church who is struggling. That's a possibility too, right? Maybe, maybe planting a church looks different than we know what it looks like. I have no idea. There's lots of old dying churches in the area. Who knows? Maybe we can join up and reach a neighborhood with them. If two churches will posture their heart towards Jesus, I think anything can happen. For us, downtown is the middle of the pond. That's where we're going to throw our rock right now. So I'm here asking you guys, this is my job this morning. This is what this whole month is about. And I hope it doesn't sound like you guys don't do anything. That's not my point. I just want to make sure that, that we know that this is great, but there's more for you. We would be doing a bad job of discipleship here if we didn't encourage you to serve, if we didn't encourage you to give, if we didn't encourage you to stretch yourself a little bit for the sake of the cross, for the sake of the gospel. So I'm asking you guys this morning to go all in with us, to just to go all in. Uh, take, take some small steps. If each one of us takes small steps, we'll have really big influence. That's the key. If you're a Christian in the crowd, here's the things that I want you to do. If you're a Christian and you're in the crowd right now, we want you to get in the boat. We want you to go all in and jump in the boat with us, and this is what that looks like. Number one is I want you to sign up and commit to do something. Not forever. Just try it for a year. If you remember here, you've, you've covenanted with us to do this. And we're asking you to do that. Just when you leave here, there's going to be a table set up with a bunch of job descriptions and job titles and all sorts of things that, hap- that happen to make this happen every Sunday and to make this happen every week and month and throughout the year. Go take a look at it and see where you can help. Some of them are going to require a little more than others, and that's fine. Some of you have more that you can give than others. So just find the one that's right for you. Take the job descriptions, fill out a volunteer card. When you leave here, somebody's going to hand you a volunteer card. I printed them out, and I totally messed them up. Okay, so there's nowhere for you to put your name and stuff on it. So if you could just do that, like turn it over on the blank side. I fail just over and over. Anyways, so just turn it over as a blank side. Put your name and a contact, like email and phone number, you know, the regular type stuff. And then turn it over and just check where you might be interested in helping out. Take a look at the job descriptions. You don't have to commit today. You have to take a look and see what you might be able to do. And I'll follow up with you and we'll talk. We'll figure it out. We'll plug you in. But I want you to sign up and commit. That's the first thing. Now, there's more to do, but this is the first start. There's more jobs that need to be done that aren't out there. This is a start. This is where we need help immediately. Here's the second thing. I want you to, if you're a member here and you're a Christian, I want you to give cheerfully and faithfully. We don't like to talk about giving a lot because, you know, people don't like to go to church and hear about giving, right? 
what I'm asking you, to give faithfully and cheerfully, that trusting God to provide as you actively participate in providing for others, as you actively participate in the vision of Redemption Church. And then third, and this is probably bigger than the others. I probably should have put it first, except for if it's last, then you hear it last, and that's probably good too. So get on your knees and pray. Like literally, get on your knees. I'm just going to ask you to try it. We talked a little bit about our heart's posture that leads our members into action, the members of our body into action. It also works the, the other way around, doesn't it? But so often does the posture of our bodies lead our spirit where it needs to go. Sometimes when you kneel, when you take your hat off to pray, it puts you in a place of reverence. It puts you in a place to where you remember who you're talking to, that you remember what you're doing and how important it is. And it leads your spirit to, to talk to our Father. And all these saints will join up in prayers together. That's an amazing picture. So get on your knees and just try to remember that and pray for these things. Pray for the lost in our city and pray that God would use you and use us at Redemption Church. Pray that he would cause souls to be hungry for the gospel. And pray that we would have the means to feed them and serve them. Pray for the, that he would provide for them abundantly. And pray for the leaders of Redemption Church, which I am one of them, that our hearts would remain postured towards Jesus. And then pray that for yourselves as well. Pray that our hearts would be postured towards Jesus. It would be all about him, that we wouldn't veer off and make it about money or food or whatever the thing may be, that we would be solely focused on Jesus, that we would be all about knowing him and telling others about him who don't know him. If you're in the crowd and you don't know Jesus, then I would just say, let's look at verse 35 and through 38 of the same chapter. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Count the cost. I would submit that the cost of not following Jesus of not knowing him, is far greater than the cost of giving up our stuff and our time and our energy and our affections and directing them all towards him. But the cost of not doing those things is far greater than doing them. As a matter of fact, those things that we give up would be counted as garbage once we know the prize of knowing Jesus. Love, joy, peace, hope. These things filled our soul. These things are what make us alive. And these things are what we can feed others if we know Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. I'm not asking you to serve and to give and to do all those sorts of things and get involved just so that we can be Redemption Church and we can have our name get a little bit bigger in the city and maybe we could expand and, and make a really cool, successful thing. I'm not. It's not about that. I'm asking you to get involved for your own good and for the good of others. Because I truly believe that this is how Jesus discipled his disciples, as he sent them out. And it takes a little bit of trust, doesn't it? God over and over and over and over again is calling for us to have faith in him, from Abraham on. So I'm calling you to that. Have a little faith. He's fed you plenty, and he'll feed you more. 
I doubt we even know what it's like to be hungry, but there is a whole city that's starving to know. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll move into a time of response. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, our Father, for gathering us under Jesus to this place. I pray, Lord, that you continue to open our eyes, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and give us the ability to see the love of Jesus Christ for us. And Lord, that, that knowing that because of him we're in a right relationship with you, that uh, having a Father who loves us and goes before us and after us will make all the difference in our life and in the lives of those around us as we proclaim Jesus to others. Father, I pray that you fill us up. I do. I pray that you feed us, that you fill us up, and I pray that you, you stretch us a little bit, make it a little bit uncomfortable. We know that in those times... We embrace those times because those are the times where we grow to be more like you. And so, Father, I pray that you do that to us. I pray that um, I pray that you move hearts to serve, that you move hearts to give, that you move hearts to know you above all else and to tell others. And I pray for the people in our city. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to open hearts even now, that you'd make them hungry for the gospel. I pray, Father, for the lost in downtown, the people who live, work, and play in that area, that even now you'd be preparing their hearts, that you would open doors for us to just speak Jesus into it. And, Lord, we pray that they'd be receptive and they would hear. And, Lord, we pray to see souls come to know you, that the dead would become alive. We pray to see people called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.